This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at in-depthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Put a marker in Leviticus chapter 10. Before we go to chapter 10, I want to look at a couple scriptures in Exodus. Now remember, we've been talking the last few weeks about the consecration of Aaron and his sons, um, if you will, the consecration service, or however you want to you know, term that. And we're going to look at that today and, and show you a few things related to that. But before we get to chapter 10, let's turn to Exodus Do you, as a Christian, want to be used by God? And I believe the answer would be, for each of us, yes. All of you here today have a desire, I believe, to serve God. Moses, Aaron... What we're looking at here, the priesthood, they were set aside for a purpose, and that was to serve God and to serve the people. And I believe that when we come into the kingdom initially, that there is within the heart of the believer this desire uh, to serve God, to serve others and so on. But remember that certain things must be right. Desire alone is not the whole thing. You know, we are to desire God, we are to desire to move along with Him, but see, there must be something in the heart that God touches that places our feet in the right direction, and we walk with him. Now, in Exodus 29, were the sons of Aaron consecrated is my my question this morning. And that's not a trick question. It's a straightforward question. Do you think the sons of Aaron were consecrated? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Exodus 29:35. And thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons according to all things which I have commanded thee. Seven days shalt thou consecrate them. So in chapter 8 of Leviticus and chapter 9, you have this consecration service. But remember that not all the hearts there were consecrated. You know, it doesn't matter how much we know and understand that, that uh, things can, can become ritualistic. See, we, we know that, we understand that. But that does not mean that we as Christians cannot get caught up in even the things of Christianity and, and then become ritualistic. 
See, our understanding and knowing up here does not mean that we will not be caught up in ritual. You know, and I've been a Christian for a long time. And I can see just certain times of my life where I, I, I felt my heart moving that way. It, you know, you can, as I've said before, come to church, and that's a good thing. But if you come to church and that's the end of it, then it, it doesn't serve you uh, much purpose. It's not really beneficial to you. There, there must be more than that. Remember, it says that in Leviticus, it's mentioned at least two times, maybe three times, that the priest was to wash the inward parts of the animal. And that is a type of what God wants to do in the life of the individual. And that's what he wanted to do in the heart and life of the priest. He wanted to wash the inward parts, not just this ritualistic outward thing where he washes the inwards of the animal, but that God would have already washed the inward part of the priest. Now turn to Exodus 19. And we'll see this later, later on as we go on. Exodus 19, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priest also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. So there's no difference here between the people in, in this respect, the people and the priest. God was still interested in the sanctification of the hearts of all of them. That becomes something that God looks at and views, and it's very important to him then and it's still important today. Now, with those two scriptures in mind, let's go to Leviticus 10. Now, in Leviticus 9, we remember that Aaron goes through the sacrifices, all the different things the Lord had set up for him to do as the high priest. Um, and then it, it comes down to chapter, or excuse me, verse 23, where the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And then verse 24, where it says the fire of the Lord came forth and consumed the offering. So here you have this tremendous appearance of the glory of God manifested on a grand scale. This is not a hidden thing. This is manifested on this wide scale where everyone sees now the glory of God consuming the offering. Tremendous. So we want to see the glory of the Lord we come to church many times, and, and we seek the Lord, and, and sometimes His glory does come and manifest itself. And we, and we see Him in a different way than we ever saw Him before. But remember that when there is a, a manifestation of the glory, or another way to say it is that when there is a victory in God... What comes next many times is failure and defeat. You walk out of church after the moving of the Spirit and different things happen and before you know it, there's a failure. And you know what I'm talking about. Verse 1 of chapter 10. 
And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, there's, there's three things here I want to show you where the sons of Aaron here failed. The first failure is seen in verse 3. Then Moses and Aaron said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified where, people? That those two words in that verse, the next two words, are the most important words in the verse for you to see. I will be sanctified in them, in them, in them, that come nigh unto me, and before all the people I will be glorified. So, so they're, they're again going through the consecration. Um, an outward thing is not what God was after. It was to lead to an inner work, but it was not what God was, was looking at or looking for. He's looking for something beyond that. So he says here that, that um, I will be sanctified in them, in them. So something within the hearts of Nadab and Abihu was not right with God. And it causes them to go their own way, to, to do what they think should be done. And, you know, we end up in this failure thing here. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. See, that's, that's the, the thinking of man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that may seem right for you as a Christian, but see, you need to walk according to the Spirit of God for your life. Or the end thereof, or the, the end result will be some type of spiritual death. So, in the heart of Nadab and Abihu, the sanctification was not there. They went through the ritual of the consecration, but something was not quite right. The next thing is seen in Exodus chapter 30. You know, I'm, I'm studying this and I'm thinking, Lord, <laughs> help me. Help me to, to, to be what you want me to be. Help, Lord, that, that I would be able to live a sanctified life. Not to know these things, but the reality of that is moving in my life. Because that's what God wants. You know, so, so we come to church and we sit here and we, we hear all these different truths and what have you. That's good. But what about when you go to work? What about when you leave here and you go home and certain things come at you and the test is upon you and the pressure is there? Well, that's a different story. We need God's help at that time. We do. We need God to work here. Right in here. 
Exodus 30, verse 34. Uh, could somebody read this? Vicki. 34 through 38. Even shall be cut off from his people. Let me just interject this before I go. I, I just recently heard that there's a company that's trying to, they, they went through the Bible when they took these different things, uh, for example, for the incense and, and um, the sweet smelling incense and that, and they're trying to have that marketed to Christians. So you, you might see it in the near future. But anyway, look at verse 9. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor, nor burnt sacrifice, etc., etc. So um, the word here, strange, means to turn aside or to become estranged. So, so God is saying, don't turn aside from the pattern here that I have laid forth. He, he told them, this is the incense that, that they needed to compound and to have it there. And they were to use that incense in the correct way God had ordained in this whole setup. And he says, do not offer any strange incense upon the altar. And, and it says that in, in verse 2 of, of Leviticus 10, that Nadab, or verse 1, that Nadab and Abihu offered strange incense. Now that word strange is the same uh, Hebrew word that you see in Proverbs where it talks about the strange woman or, or related to the stranger. So, so there is something that is, is out there that causes a problem in here. So, so they take this strange incense, not after uh, the working of God, the way he had the thing set up, and they bring that in, and that causes also... This failure, and I'll read this verse. Uh, you can turn there if you want. Leviticus 22. And like I said, keep a marker in chapter 10. Leviticus 22. Verse 10. 10. Okay. There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. Now, um, that's talking about the, um, the sacrificial meats, the offerings that were to be the Levites. Um, well, let's continue on. A sojourner of the, of the priest or a hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. So there were certain things that were designated 
holy to be used a certain way, and God says that they have to be used in the manner in which I have shown you. You cannot just partake of the holy thing incorrectly. So, so God brings something out, and it's a holy thing. Well, you need to partake of that in the right spirit, in the right way. It applies to us. So, so there you have two things. You have, they, Devin and Bio, were not sanctified in their hearts, and they offered strange incense. They, they disobeyed God, not doing this the way that, that it was to be done. And, well, and the third thing is they were even way out of order. They shouldn't even have been doing this at all. Now, turn to Leviticus 16. There was a God-ordained ritual here. Um, There was a given ritual that they, they went through, and all the priests knew what that ritual was. In Leviticus 16, verse 12, you see their disobedience here. Let's read verse 12 and 13. And he, now he's, when he says he, verse 8, you see Aaron, verse 9 is Aaron, verse 11 is Aaron. He's still talking about Aaron, the high priest. Um, let me see here, you know, verse 12. And he shall take a censer, Aaron, full of burning coals of fire from off the altar, and that's the brazen altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he, speaking of the high priest, shall put the incense upon the, uh, the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So Nadab and Abihu here, I believe they take the incense and they intrude into this area beyond the veil, which was designated for the high priest alone. See, there's only one high priest in Israel. And his job was to go into the holy place. Remember, whenever, whenever they walked into the into the holy place, it was dark. So they would go over and they would light, light the candle. Okay, then you had um, a table of showbread and the altar of incense. And they would go over to the altar of incense. Meanwhile, before that, they, they went to the brazen altar and got some coals, some embers. They put them in a pan. They went in there. When they, when they first go in there, it's dark. They light the candle. They put the incense upon the, um, the pan, upon the fire, the coals, and then they go behind, the, the um, high priest goes behind the veil, and he offers this incense, which actually fills up the whole room, and then the, the, the cloud appeared over the mercy seat. So that was the, the, the pattern. This was the specific duty of the high priest. Aaron's sons were not high priests. Only Aaron was. And so they intrude into this office of high priest without the authority of the high priest. They're not the high priest. And so they go in here, and I don't know how far they got, but it obviously wasn't too far, and, and they end up losing their lives. So you have these three things that I see here, three 
mistakes or three failures that, that actually were all moving together in, in, in one you know, movement all the way through until they, they come to this place where they lose their life. Now, they were deliberately and willfully disobedient to God. And somebody says, well, don't you think that's a little strong? Well, it's because we don't understand the system that God set up, and we don't see uh, the whole picture and how necessary it was to cover the sins of the people. But God here became severe because of what they did. You see this same willful disobedience in the New Testament when the church begins um, in Acts, the early church, uh, where Ananias and Sapphira also willingly disobey and they lie to the Holy Spirit and, and it's very similar what happens to them. So this sanctification being consecrated in the heart is serious business. Very serious. And, and as I said earlier, you know, we need to pray and ask God to work in our life and to help us so that we can walk correctly with Him. And that we as believers would walk accurately uh, with Him. So that we can function the way he has, has ordained us to function, and we can offer our lives for others. We can give our, our heart, our time, whatever, for the benefit of other people. So that you want to serve God, then you need to be consecrated. If you want to do that correctly, and you want to have this correct and, and this influence and have an impact on others, then, then you, you need to have a consecrated life. I was actually thinking, you know, Jesus, his ministry was only three to three and a half years. And he started with 12 people. And look at the impact of a total, totally consecrated life. Look at the impact it had on the world. One person. And I was thinking, Lord, <laughs> I don't know how much of an impact my life has been or will be, but bring a greater consecration to me <laughs> and help me to walk in that which you've called me to walk in. So that when my life here is over, that somehow, some way, it would have made a difference in some way to help another person. If you want to be used by God, he wants you to be a, a consecrated saint, sanctified. Leviticus 10. Verse 2. And I'm going to look at a verse right after we read this in Samuel. 
And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now turn to 1 Samuel 15. This is a familiar portion of Scripture. We've all heard this verse. But in light of the offerings and the things that we've learned in Leviticus, when you read this, you should get a better picture of what he's saying. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, this is to Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? See, is the Lord after the burnt sacrifices, the burnt offerings and sacrifices? Well, yes. But as compared to the next thing he says, see, things have to be in their proper place. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So if you compare the two, see, God's, he, he's after obedient, um, obedience in your life. And that obedience will bring the burnt sacrifices and the offerings of your life into the place where, where they should be, so that he can, can take that and he can receive that and accept that. But without the disobedience, the offerings are meaningless because it's never going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish because there is no heart of obedience. So that's what Samuel says. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, the reason is because the obedience lays the foundation for a correct sacrifice. And to hearken or to listen than the fat of ram. So to listen to what God is saying to you is better than the best part of the offering that we looked at, the fat of the offering. So, so that obedience there, you know, that's extremely important. That must be correct in the heart and life of the priest and in the heart and life of the Christian for these other things to become effective. You cannot have an effective offering without certain things, you know, obedience, consecration. They just, they don't reach to the place they should. In uh, Hebrews, let me read this from the Amplified. This is, this is Hebrews 12, 25. So see to it that you do not reject him or refuse to listen uh, to and heed him who is speaking to you now. For if they, the Israelites, did not escape when they refused to listen and heed him who warned and divinely instructed them here on earth, revealing with heavenly warnings his will, how much less shall we escape 
if we reject and turn our backs on him who cautions and admonishes us from heaven. Serious stuff. We can go back and read all these things about the Israelites in the wilderness. We can see the failure of Nadab and Abihu and the failures of many of the other people in the Bible, like Samson. And we can clearly see they made a mistake. Why couldn't they see the mistake that they were making and correct that? Well, it's good, it's easy to see that. But what about us? Do we see when we are moving in an incorrect way? Do we move then by, by, by the Spirit revealing that? Move in obedience then? Oh, it's easy to go into the Bible and, and pick out the flaws and mistakes of other people and never say, Lord, examine me. What's going on in my heart that's not right? Or when something comes out, Lord, I, I ask your forgiveness, or I come to you, brother, I, I sinned against you, I'm sorry. No, we, we don't do that. But we can see it in the scripture, you see, when it relates to other people. Because we're blind. Without the Spirit of God revealing to us our sin and our uh, incorrectness in things, we'll be blind. We'll never see it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Now, I think that it's quite possible that Nadab and Abihu uh, could have leaned to their own understanding. You know, it, it's easy to, to reason things. Well, you know... As long as there's incense burning, what's the big deal? You know, we just get some fire and we'll burn the incense. It's no big deal. It still smells the same. The carnal mind is the enemy of God. Is enmity with God, King James says. And in Isaiah, fifty-five, eight, God says this: "For my thoughts are not your thoughts." We can most of us can quote this verse. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. But do you know? That we are to walk in the will and purpose of God for our life. So that our ways become God's ways. Or another way to say it. That God's ways have worked in our life and now our ways are the same as his. If we remain in ourself, in our, our rebellion then our ways and our thoughts will never be the same as God's. Because the carnal mind 
is the enemy of God. And so there must be a change within. What's the verse? We are to be renewed by the word of God. Go to Romans. I, I, think, that's, I think it's Romans. I should ask you, Jim. You're teaching it. <laughs> Romans 12. I'm almost sure that's it. There's, that's one of them anyway. Romans 12. Mm-hmm. Remember last week we looked, we closed with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you become a sacrifice to God, that you would sacrifice for others, which is um, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable or well-pleasing and perfect will of God. A burning incense. As long as it's burning, that's okay. See, that's the carnal mind. The, you know, we know these scriptures. We understand them here. But see, how can I offer myself as a living sacrifice to God if I am moving in my carnal mind and my carnal reasoning? Nadab and Abihu go through the ritual of consecration, but see, something was not right in their heart and they begin thinking on a carnal level. Not begin thinking, but they continue thinking on a carnal level. Well, you know, this will be okay. It's no problem. Or maybe they thought, well, you know, Aaron's the high priest. He's my dad, you know. I can make it, you know, like some people, you know, I can make it into heaven on, on mama's apron strings. Or because my mother or father are serving God, that, you know, that I'll be okay. See, it's a carnal, carnal thinking. Carnal thinking. And God will use his word to try to change that. So that we're not looking at things the way we used to. It's so easy to come up with all these thoughts and figure everything out, isn't it? You know, mathematicians can sit down and figure things out. But God, see, he's a mathematician too, you know. And one plus one doesn't equal two sometimes, it equals three. See, God, God's division and everything's different. God's addition many times is division. See, the carnal mind will never reason that way. We'll never see it. Now, running out of time. Boy, oh boy. Whenever the glory appears, we saw in the latter part of uh, chapter 9, the glory of God came and appeared. 
when the glory of God appears, that the natural inclination of man is to do something. Matthew 17, 4, remember when Jesus was transfigured? He had Peter, James, and John with him. What does Peter say? It is good that we are here. Let us make unto you and Moses and Elijah, I think it was, three statues. I want us to do something. The glory of God's there. The, the inner tendency, let's, let's do something. When Paul is, is riding on the road to Damascus and the light shines around about him and he falls to his face and the Lord appears to him, the first thing that Paul says is, what would you have me to do? You see that throughout the scriptures. When the glory of the Lord appeared in the first chapter, I think it is of, um, I think it's the first chapter, maybe it isn't, of Isaiah, where he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. The first thing Isaiah says, other than I'm a man of unclean lips, he says, send me. Activity. It's always in man. When the glory appears, we'll want to do something. So the glory appeared, and Nadab and Abihu, they wanted to do something. But what they did was in complete disobedience to what God had showed them. It says in, in verse 1 of chapter 10, that they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. So it's not as if they didn't know. First Samuel 16, you don't have to turn there, 16, 7. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh upon the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. So he's interested in what is going on within you and I. Now I wanted to show you something. I'll just give you the scriptures. In Exodus 24, 1, uh, Moses, uh, the Lord tells Moses to come up to the mount and bring, this is very interesting, Nadab. He says, bring Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders. And so later on in that chapter, verse 7, you see Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel going up to the mount. But you do not see the other two sons of Aaron be, you know, being brought up on the mount. You see um, Eliezer and, and Ithamar are not even mentioned. And I believe that God instructs Moses and Aaron to bring Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders up because God wanted to influence them in a way that hopefully they would become obedient to him. See, Eliezer and Ithamar were both sanctified in their hearts, not just through the ritual, the ceremony, but they were sanctified in their hearts. 
And they were the two that took uh, over the priesthood whenever the, two, the other two sons, the first and second son of, of Aaron, died. And, and it's interesting, and I don't have time to go into that, but if you follow the line of uh, Eliezer, you will see Phineas, who is very important, and then you follow down along to Zadok. Zadok priests were holy and set apart by God, walking with God, you know, uh, performing what he wanted. And so you, you had that godly line there intact. And it says that from the line of Eliezer, you had all, or not all, but the majority of the leaders of the priests came out from that line. Ithamar, his line goes down to Eli, and then you have Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas were his sons. That's a different Phinehas. Uh, and, and that line, you know, th they had problems and they all, they all were killed. So, so God is interested, as I said, in sanctifying the heart of the priest so that there is this proper flowing out from them to their children down, down the line of their descendants, and, and that's what you see uh, in the scriptures. Um, okay. So in, in chapter 10, verse 2, fire comes out and devours uh, Nadab and Abihu. And of course, the fire there is representative of God's judgment. Now, go back in chapter 10 here in closing. Verse 4, And Moses called Misael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. Now, this is the last statement in, in this chapter related to Nadab and Abihu. And the statement here in this verse is seen through the two people that come and remove the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. The meaning of Mishael is, who is what God is? Who is going to try to circumvent that which God has ordained in the priesthood? Who is what God is? He's the first one to carry the one, the one son out. And the other one is Elzephan, my God has protected. Well, what has he protected? He has protected his holiness. They aren't going to intrude into the priesthood. And so the meanings of the names of those two men are significant, and they are the last statement that is made concerning Nadab and Abihu in this chapter. Who is what God is, and my God has protected. Those two take the dead bodies of those who were willfully disobedient to the command of God in the priesthood. 
And it says, of course, I will be sanctified in them that come near unto me. And in Exodus, where you see the, the, the turban of the high priest, they had another, uh, I don't know if it was like a little plate or it was probably, um, uh, so, I don't know if you want to say sewn, but it was embroidered. A thing that went across the turban that said, Holiness unto the Lord. See, that's not just words that, are, that were there on the head of the high priest. See, it had to be a sanctified heart, or God will protect his holiness, and that's what he did. See, it has to be more than an outward thing. Turn to Ezekiel in closing. Ezekiel 20. Verse 41. I will accept you with your sweet savor when? <laughs> when I bring you out from the people. I will accept you and your sweet savor. I will accept you and your offering when I bring you out from the other people. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. So the actual... Uh, Realization of the promise there, I will be a father unto you, will find its roots in come out from among them. So, so the latter part of that does not occur in, in the reality of the Spirit until there is a separation of heart. Now bring it down real, real, uh, a nice low plane for you here. You need to separate yourself from the world, from the things in the world, that which wants to pull you down, that which wants to keep you away from God, that which wants to pull you another direction other than having a heart that is sanctified, where God is sanctified in you. Come out from among them, Christian, and be ye separate. Well, I go to work. I can't come out from among them. I got to work around them. He's talking about in here that, that your heart doesn't go after the things of the world, that, that your desires are not for the same thing that the other people around you are desiring. And your conversation is not the same as, as what the other people's is like. Oh, talk about this, that, and the other thing. You know, talk about this dirty thing and what have you. No. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, not with your hands, with your heart. And I will be unto you. I will receive you and I will be unto you a father. In the best sense. 
Delight thyself in the Lord. Do you know what the word delight means? That's from Proverbs or Psalms. Delight thyself in the Lord. That word means that you would have a soft and pliable heart. Not that, oh, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. No. It's that my heart would be soft and pliable. That's how you delight or delight in the Lord. See, because now there's no barrier between you and God. And things are able to flow into your life from him, from his hand, because you have a soft heart. And, and we have the ability to uh, keep our heart soft, you know. Well, with God's help, of course. So the inner condition here will either enable or disable us as far as offering to God what he wants. So the inner consecration or being sanctified in the inner man is what will make your life effective, an effective offering. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many spiritual things that you do. See, they're not going to change what's in here many times. But God wants to sanctify your heart and make you clean on the inside. So that your life can truly be offered in the right way to him and to others. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll continue in Leviticus next week.